All right. Everybody stand up. Put up your right hand. Give a high five to somebody next to you. Oh, <laughs> now have a seat. <laughs> I just thought you needed a stretch, you know, between baby dedication and the sermon. So, all right, there we go. <laughs> so sometimes the, uh, the Bible can be confusing. Have you ever noticed that? Uh, sometimes it can. Last week, Rhonda, our children's pastor, uh, did a great job of preaching from the second half of Colossians 2, and she explained how in that passage, the Apostle Paul makes it clear that we're not supposed to get caught up in following rules and engage, or engaging in self-denial in ways that might seem spiritual, but you know, actually get in the way of our relationship with Jesus. She said that being a Christian is all about grace, not guilt. And now this week, we jump into Colossians 3. And uh, as we do, what do you find? A whole list of things we're not supposed to do. <laughs> yeah, a list that could leave most of us, uh, you know, probably all of us, if we're honest, feeling at least a little bit guilty. So what's the deal with that? Well, we're in the middle of this sermon series going through Paul's letter to the Colossians that we are calling Rooted in Jesus. Now, I don't know how much you've been getting from this series, but I have to say it's been great for me. <laughs> from the very beginning of it, I, I have sensed God speaking to me and calling me through the words of Paul and Colossians to just recenter my life on Jesus, you know, on knowing him, on listening to him, on being rooted and grounded in him, experiencing him, loving him, following him with all my heart and all my soul and all my strength. And then a group of us went down to Phoenix for the Vineyard National Conference a couple of weeks ago, and what did they talk about all week down there? Loving Jesus, <laughs> being centered on Jesus, being rooted and grounded in Jesus. At least that's what I got out of it. It was great. And I know that is what God wants for all of us. I have zero interest in religion for religion's sake. You know, the last thing I want to do is have us gather as a church, think some nice thoughts, feel a little bit better about, our, about ourselves, and then go back to our homes or our jobs or school or wherever as though nothing really happened. You know, I want us to know Jesus. Amen? Yeah, that's what we're here for. I want us to encounter Jesus. I want us to have our life, every part of our life, shaped by Jesus. So Jesus, we ask you to do that today. We ask for your grace, for your presence to be at work in us. Thank you that you're here with us today. Open the words of the scriptures that they might draw us into more of your life, more of your love. Amen? Amen. So this is Colossians 3, 1 to 4 to begin. It says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Woo, yeah. Yeah, the Apostle Paul really was a brilliant 
teacher. You know, of course, he had the Holy Spirit inspiring him and guiding him as he wrote the letter, and that helps too. Uh, But in the first half of his letter to the Colossians, the first two chapters in our Bible, Paul's been laying out this rich theology, you know, all about who God is and who Jesus is and who we are in him. And now as he moves into the second half of his letter, Paul begins to answer the question, so what? Right? So what? What difference should all of that good theology make in our lives? And it's important that the theology comes first. If we don't know God as the good and loving and gracious God that he is, if we don't get who Jesus is, that he's God fleshed out for us, if we don't grasp the immensity of what Jesus accomplished for us through his life and death and resurrection and ascension, then we are going to take what Paul writes in this second half of the letter, turn it into mere rules and regulations, and then we will live as religious moralists rather than as the little Christs we've been talking about through this series, right? So Paul begins with, if then you've been raised with Christ. Not if then you've started going to church, or if then you've started trying to be a better person, or if then you've gotten religious. He says, if then you've been raised with Christ. For some people, that happens in a moment. For others, it seems more like a gradual process. That was true for me. But one way or another, God opens our eyes to his love. We respond by saying yes to his love, yes to God's grace, yes to God's mercy, yes to his forgiveness. And the presence of God floods into our lives and awakens us to new life in a mysterious and very real way, very real way, we who were before has died and were raised to new life in Christ. Amen, yeah. The sign and the seal of that is baptism, which is why we baptize people who are old enough to understand what's, you know, what's happened. In the early centuries of the church, they had a tradition that you will probably be happy we don't practice anymore. If you were getting baptized, you would disrobe completely Go into the water, naked as the day you were born. (laughs) Yeah, see what that does for church attendance. (laughs) Could work either way. And then when you were raised up out of the water, they gave you this new white robe to put on. The idea was that you were shedding your old life, you were leaving behind your old identity, and you were putting on a new one. You were raised to new life in Christ. So let me pause and ask you, have you opened your life to the love of God? Have you been raised to new life in Jesus? Yeah, we don't want to make that trite or trivial, uh, but neither do we want to overlook our need for it or overcomplicate it. It's simply saying yes to the love of God for you. It's simply saying yes to his grace and mercy and forgiveness, yes to the life of God, yes to the breath of God, the Holy Spirit filling you 
and giving you new life. So can I pray for that? You know, and if you haven't ever taken that step, just make this your prayer with me, and then come tell me about it later. So, Lord, thank you for your love. Thank you, Jesus, for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for living and dying and rising for me so that I could be raised to new life. I open my heart to you and to your love. I give my life to you. Come and fill me with your presence and make me new. Amen? Amen. So Paul goes on to say then, if then you have been raised with Christ, if you've received this new life in Christ and are now living in this new identity, well then, seek the things that are above. Set your mind, he said, on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. So what does that mean? You know, should we just spend our days thinking about angels and clouds and visions of heaven? Yeah, should we think about wanting to escape this world and regretting that we have to do normal, everyday stuff like school and family and jobs? Well, I think the key to understanding what the things above are is that they are where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. That phrase means that Jesus is now ruling over all things. Already. He's already ruling over all things. But now what does that really mean? I mean, if anything, to us living in the 21st century, it can sound kind of rigid and controlling and maybe like we'd better obey or else, right? So let me say it this way. Jesus is the one who empowers all things to work the way they were meant to. Yeah. Jesus is the one who empowers all things to work the way they were meant to. Do you want your life to work the way it was meant to? Do you want your family, your friendships, your recreation to work the way they were all meant to? Do you want all of these, everything in your life, to be filled with purpose and meaning and joy and peace and grace and mercy and goodness and rest? That's how they're all meant to be. That's how they're all meant to work. Well, then he says, seek the things that are above. Set your mind, set your will on the things that are above. And the things that are above are the ways of Jesus, the will of Jesus. It's knowing Jesus because your life, it says, all of life is hidden in him. It it doesn't mean we can't find that life. It's hidden to be found in Christ, with Christ in God. It's hidden to be found with Christ in God as you seek Jesus and seek his ways with all your mind and all your heart. Set your mind on Jesus. That's what he's telling us. Set your mind on Jesus. So how do we do that? I feel like a broken record sometimes. But after almost 50 years of following Jesus, I'm pretty convinced that it's by doing the spiritual practices, right? It's the very simple practices we do, like reading our Bibles every day. Uh, And as you're reading it, you know, not just reading it for information, reading it to talk to God. 
asking Jesus to speak to you through it, taking some time to listen to what he's saying to you through it. How is it speaking to you that day? It's things like talking to Jesus whenever you can. We call that prayer, right? Telling him everything that's going on in your life. And then taking some time to be quiet and listening to him. It's coming here to worship on Sundays. Yet we set our minds on Jesus by devoting time to him every day, by devoting time to him every week, by, by centering our life on him. So set your mind on Jesus. Let me read on. Starting in verse 5, this is where the list comes in. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetedness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. There was a, a devotional on the YouVersion uh, Bible app that some of us uh, use to read the Bible each day. Um, the day I was writing this that my wife Lisa alerted me to. And, and one of the things it said is that spiritually speaking, sin doesn't make you bad. Sin makes you dead. And the good news of the gospel isn't that Jesus makes you good, it's that it makes you alive. I pray that we would just fully grasp that. That's something to spend some time thinking about. See, God is not like Santa Claus. Did you know that? <laughs> Season's coming. He does not have a naughty and nice list. He's not a rule keeper who's happy when we follow the rules and upset when we don't. God is a lover who more than anything wants to deliver us, all of us, from death and into life. Dead people and living people don't do the same things. You may have noticed that, right? If dead people get up and walk around like they're sort of alive, that's called being a zombie, and we know that that's weird, right? That's weird. But it's just as weird the other way around if living people act like dead people. All of the things Paul lists here, the sexual immorality, the wanting what other people have, all the ways we use our emotions and our words to hurt people or to control them, these are the ways of death. The, they are all things that produce death in us and in our relationships in one way or another. Now the problem is, we often don't really believe that. Now, we might say we do, but the reason anyone does any of these things isn't because they want to be bad people. It's because we think it's going to give us life or protect our life. 
It's going to give us peace, maybe, or it's going to make us happy or wealthy or powerful or safe. It's going to make our life better. That's what we think. It's going to make my life better. And why do we think that? Because to some degree, our minds are still set on earthly things. Now, that's normal. Transformation is a lifelong process, right? All of us, to one degree or another, have our minds set on earthly things. It's just because we're human. So we still think to some degree that life is found in the things we can control or the things we can grasp after and take hold of for ourselves. But where is our life really? Paul says it's hidden with Christ in God. And so Paul's saying, keep that process of transformation going. Put to death what's earthly in you by setting your mind on Jesus. Give you an example. For me, the earthly thing that I have to put to death over and over is thinking that success is what gives me life, right? It's the key to life, success. Now, success for me doesn't necessarily mean we have to have the biggest church around. Oh, that would be nice. But we do have to have the best church, right? (laughs) I'm not competitive at all. Now, there's nothing wrong with success. Don't get me wrong. Success is often a good thing. So it might seem strange that I'm saying my desire for success is an earthly thing that I need to put to death. But remember, this list in Colossians isn't about being naughty or nice. It's about growing in life or death. When I pursue success because I think I need success for my life to be good, that produces death in me in forms like stress and worry and fear and jealousy, discontent. Amen? That's how that works. See, but my life isn't hidden in success. That's not where I'm going to find it. My life is hidden with Christ in God. So set your mind on Jesus. Says God's wrath is coming because of these things. There's a scary verse. But God's wrath, it's important for us to remember, is not some aspect of his character that is different from or opposed from his love. God's wrath is an expression of his love. God's wrath is the fire of his love that will burn away anything that would produce death in us. Now, could that be uncomfortable for us if our lives are entangled in things that produce death? Probably. (laughs) Might be a little unpleasant for a while. But it's important to remember that what God is doing, his purpose, is love. What he's doing is stripping away the things that produce death in us so that we can experience his life. His goal for you is life, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So set your mind on Jesus. Amen? So we're going to do that. We're going to set our mind on Jesus now 
by celebrating the Lord's Supper together. I mean, what a great opportunity to remember uh, all that he's done for us, to say yes once again uh, to his grace, to his mercy, to his love, to his life. Um, That's what we do as we gather to celebrate this meal.